Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast, your source for transformational preaching, uplifting testimonies, and authentic conversations about how we can grow our relationship with Jesus Christ and live out His purpose. In this episode, you'll continue hearing from legendary missionary Martha Burton as she tells her and her husband's story about how they impacted the country of Venezuela with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our hope is that you will be blessed and inspired to do the will of God in your life as you listen to their story. I think I mentioned the last time that um, we went over on a ship. So it was seven nights and six days. The reason it was seven nights is they wanted to leave early. And so they wanted us on the ship. So uh, we spent that night on, and during, during the night they, you know, started off. And uh, I was so thrilled when the boat, you know, started to move. And then we got into the Mississippi. We left from New Orleans. And uh, we were on a Dutch ship. Nobody, uh, I'm not good at making diaries. Uh, Brother Burton did have a diary. But the pictures that we took, that was uh, the first thing that was stolen in Venezuela was our camera, which still had the film of our journey over. So we have none of the pictures of that. But, um, uh, yes. And being we were such a big family, the reason we went by boat was you could take barrels with you, so we had several barrels, and uh, that was in the storage down below, but you could take all the luggage that you could fit in your room. So being there was so many, there was only two or three bunks in each room. So my husband was in one room with a couple of them, and I was in uh, the room with... Uh, Lisa was eight months old, and she was in a big basket. And, of course, there were no throwaway diapers, so I would wash out the diapers and hang them in the porthole. (laughs) And I have a tendency to be seasick. So uh, the sailors told me, you're supposed to eat. Keep your stomach full. And whenever you feel sick, asked me for something to eat, and they would bring me these pills, you know, to take with it. So uh, I did pretty well clear up to the last night, and I had fought it so long. And he had said to me the day before, he said, if you keep on taking these pills, he said, you're going to be sicker. So uh, I had quit taking the pills, so, and I have, was almost ashamed to keep asking for food. So <laughs> I lost what I did have the last day, but thank goodness. I, other than that, it was a pretty good trip over. Um, the kids, they had ropes up so they could play outside, and uh, the sailors there couldn't speak English, so they loved pinching the kids to hear them say, ouch, because <laughs> they evidently don't say, ouch. Of course, in Spanish, they say, ay, 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 <laughs> and... Uh, But it was a very good trip over, and we landed in Maracaibo, where we had our one and when we first went over there, there was only two church buildings. One was in Maracaibo, and one was in La Fria. La Fria held about 200 people, 
um, out of Cabo, probably held 100 Latins and about 75 Americans. <laughs> what I mean by that is Latins like to be close. Um, I noticed, <laughs> you know, if American comes in and there's somebody sitting in the row, they're going to pick out another row where uh, that's not true with, with the Latins, you know. They like sitting close together. Not only that, they talk close. So I came back, you know, after reputation, and I would be talking to somebody, and they keep back, and I, you know, and I said, I, I think I took a bath. What's wrong with these people? But I realized the American likes their space, you know. And... Uh, so I learned to kind of back up and not be too uh, too demonstrative with my. They like to use their hands too, and they point with their lip, which you know you don't want your kids to pick this up. <laughs> it's very very convenient when you got your hands full, you know. <laughs> but the one that got me we pulled up in the taxi, and the guy said, "I I was asking something." He went. <laughs> and I never seen that one, you know. It was behind me, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, so much for that. Uh, but there, that's what there was when we went there. Uh, the church in La Fria was a country church. And a lot of the people that went there, they came on Saturday and stayed overnight. So they had these mats they laid on the floor because they would walk from several miles away. They would go through the rivers and that barefooted carried their shoes uh, on their head and their clothes and come to church and stay overnight. And then they'd start back Sunday uh, afternoon after service, sometimes very, very far away. And it makes you appreciate, you know, people to go that far and then, we can't go if the parking place is full, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty sad. But anyway, that church, the, the nice part about that church was, and I didn't know until one of the ministers said, I was Trinity only one day. <laughs> and he said, the church in La Fria was a Trinity church where the truth was preached and the, uh, almost the whole congregation was baptized. Wow. And so... Uh, that was that was very encouraging. We uh, that was the building we had our first com- conferences in conventions because there was no other place to have them. We fed everybody at that time, um, and we just when the church started growing, it, you know, we kept buying pots and more plates and pots and more plates, and finally it was just too small to do it there. And then um, some of the things, you know people throwing food away, and it just got to be too much. So we quit um, doing the conferences there, and that's when actually we started having them in Barquisimeto and other places. Uh, There was uh, some uh, preaching places, and that was Saba Mendoza, uh, San Antonio, San Cristobal. Those were... uh, places where they had house meetings that we later, uh, we would start in a house and then get a congregation, and then we would buy, look for property. And after we uh, left Maracaibo by car, 
we went to San Cristobal. We lived in San Cristobal probably a few years um, before we went to Barquisimeto. But uh, San Cristobal is a beautiful little mountain town close to uh, Colombia. And uh, so we picked up a lot of uh, Colombian words, which didn't go over big in Barquisimeto. They thought we were Colombians. And I think I told you about these kids going to the store, and they said, where are you from? And they said, Los Estados Unidos, uh, the United States. And they says, oh, you liars, you not, you're from Colombia. <laughs> the kids went back crying. You know, they don't believe us down there at that store. Okay. But uh, Venezuela is a very beautiful country. It's about the size of Texas and part of Oklahoma. For the size, it has a lot of things going for it. It has the Andes Mountains, uh, the Caribbean Sea. It says it's 72 islands. Now, I don't know where they got all those. Most, most of them must be uninhabited. But they do have one big one that's Margarita that people live on. And uh, I had a daughter live there for a while, so, of course, we visited there. They have sand dunes. Can you believe that? In a place that small, they had sand dunes. They have the highest falls in the world, which is Angels Falls, which was named after American because he found it. His name was Jimmy Angel, or James, I guess. They called him Jimmy, but his name was James, I guess. James, and his last name was Angel, so it was called Angel Falls. It's supposed to be the highest falls in the world. It's not real wide. I've been down there twice. One of the trips I would not like to repeat ever again. <laughs> we went with one of the missionaries that was there, uh, Brother Azarisi and his wife. We left uh, very early in the morning so we could get there and save money, of course, before we got on the airplane. So he was a truck driver, and we're going through these curves like this, and I get car sick. I had not eaten and so we're in the curves going through this, you know, and when I got there, I was already sick. And when I got on that plane, I have never been that sick in my life. They said, there's Angels Falls. And I stood up and I looked and I said, God, my stomach was jumping from one side to the other. You could see it. There was one poor lady there that was, she wouldn't even stand up. I thought, I've come this far and I'm going to see those falls even <laughs> So the second time we was in, I was glad I had stood up and looked at it because there was clouds over it and you couldn't see it. But after we got in there, the day that I was sick, they said, oh, there's bad weather coming. We can't stay. we got to get back on that plane. And I thought, you're going to have to drive me on there because I'm not going. But anyway, when we got there, then Brother Azarisi and Sister Darlene says, oh, we're going to eat. And I said, I'm not eating. And they said, oh, yeah, you'll feel better when you eat. And I said, no way. I, had, I said, I just want to be able to stretch out on it. I spent the whole night sleeping. No food, no nothing. But uh, we did take a group uh, of Amers from Ohio when we had the youth uh, groups that would come. We took them down uh, to Angel Falls, and we got to stay in there and stay a couple nights, even eat there. Yeah, and I didn't get sick on the way in. Wasn't that amazing? Well, anyway, uh, one of the women fell, though, and broke her ankle while we were there at the falls. 
but we, uh, that group had some amazing experiences, and I'll tell you about that later in Barquisimeto. I do have it written down, so I don't think I'll forget it. But anyway, talking about Venezuela, they have uh, also the Gran Sanaba, which is Plains, Savannah, which I didn't get to go. Now, that's one thing I regret. I never, it's kind of like the lowlands. And uh, they say on a good day, you could look over and see Trinidad. Uh, it was that close. They also had the Amazons, which I was able to go into some of those because we started churches down there in Apuri, and that was much later in our works. But back to uh, San Cristobal, when we first went there, um, a beautiful little town, mountain town, uh, the only problem was the first year that we were there, and I don't think it was that way the second year. The first year, it rained day and night, day and night. And my kids had to walk to school. And they got off at noontime. So that means they do the mud puddles all the way home, <laughs> all the way to school and all the way home. And so I have a ringer washer, no dryer except a little one that got broke, it was one of those $50 ones, you know? And so we would prop it up with a chair and put diapers in there. That's about the only thing it would dry, not blue jeans. So I would iron the blue jeans dry. The water was bad because it was raining, so we had, I put water in the wringer washer to wash, and the water was as dirty as the clothes. So... And Lisa was uh, drinking milk, but she would have it still in a bottle. So I would boil water, and there'd be that much dirt in the bottom when I'm finished. So you have to be careful to get the water off without getting the mud in it. That was a hard thing to do. Well, then we had a lady that was helping. Of course, we couldn't communicate with her because we couldn't speak that much Spanish. Rosa Sembrano. And uh, so she came to help us so we could study Spanish with the missionaries that were there. No school. They didn't send you to school then. You just open your mouth and hope the Lord felt it. <laughs> uh, I said, I've asked forgiveness for every time I said yes, and I should have said no. But if I say yes and they look startled, I say, oh, no, no. <laughs> I really have repented over that because God only knows. And I know some of the scriptures that I translated, they're still looking for. Because <laughs> you, cannot, you cannot translate scripture literally. It will not work. So you've got to read it or know it, one or the other. And um, uh, I wasn't that profound to know then. And so I tried translating some of them. And I, I know... I hope none of them remember the ones I translated, really. <laughs> but we had a house that was fairly nice. And, um, you know, there they don't have windows like we do. They have a lot of ironwork on the windows. Very pretty. Uh, kind of protective, of course. That's the idea. And um, we had our dining room had beautiful window with iron on it and pretty flowers that would come, you know, right through it. Uh, these um, 
rhodaniums, I think they were beautiful. You know, they, they were there. And the only problem was the rats, the ants, the snakes, what well, you name it, they could get in. So, so one day I was sweeping and I thought I was going to pick up the boy's belt. I went, ah, that moved. It was a snake. <laughs> so thank goodness I didn't touch it or get picked up or I'd have probably died of a heart attack right there. Uh, but yeah, that was, but I was going to tell you about Lisa. So Rosa come in and she says, um, in her Spanish, you know, she wanted milk for, for Lisa. Well, we had run out of money. We didn't have any. It was the last of the month. At that time at headquarters, you had designated funds and undesignated funds. And sometimes you'd get a letter and say, we're out of undesignated funds. I'm sorry, if you don't get praying, you won't be getting a chat. <laughs> yeah. So we were down and we had bought, you know, certain things that we had to have, the beds and things, and we had run out of money. So she was saying, I says, yeah, yeah, agua con azúcar, you know, let's give, give her some water with some uh, panela in it. Uh, it's like a brown sugar. And uh, she said, no, I didn't. I said, no. <laughs> so I think she thought, oh, well, this woman doesn't know anything about kids, you know. She needs milk. I said, oh, no, agua con panela, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... At lunchtime, here comes Rosa with powdered milk in a can. And um, so, so, so sweet were the people to us. And so sacrificial. And... Um, so Lisa had milk to finish the, to finish that month out. We did a little better planning for the next month, but um, uh, it was it was something. That first, I didn't know that rain could be uh, depressing, but it can be. Let me tell you. And I talked some of the missionaries in Scotland, and uh, Sister Kelly, I think it was, was telling me that she knew how you know the weather can really be oppressive when it's like that every day and every day and every day, and you don't see the sun. And uh, so we had a lot of physical problems when we in that first year. Um, when we first got there, Lowell was three years old, three and a half. And uh, we had to go get our papers. You have to have a little identification card that you carry. That's called a cedula. And so uh, we had to go, and Sister Edith said, no, just leave, uh, leave uh, him here with uh, me and, and Danielle, and, and the rest of you can go. So uh, the kids stayed, and we went to the what they call extranjeria to get our papers. And uh, her son, of course, didn't know any better. He gave Lowell some mongols that were green to eat without washing. And uh, he came back down with a very serious uh, stomach problem that uh, they have there, that children have. And to have it, of course, so I knew how bad it could be when we were in Maracaibo, the pastor's son had it. 
and his little hands uh, were so thin, and, and his head was still big. I mean, you know, he had lo- lost weight everywhere but the head, and um, he was several months old. Oh, I don't, he might have been a year old at that time, I don't know. But he was in very, very serious shape. And when I found out that Lowell was supposed to have the same thing. And not only that, when we left from, um, as missionaries, I didn't get to go with Brother Burton to the last meeting, but Brother Stairs, we lived, we were under five different uh, foreign mission directors, but Brother Stairs that sent us out asked my husband, he said, what would you do if your children got sick? And my husband thought, what am I supposed to say, you know? (laughs) We've been here four times, and I don't want to come back. So he's sitting there thinking, what am I going to say? When Brother Stairs threw his pencil down, he says, I'll tell you what you do. You take those kids to the doctor. Well, we found out the missionary did not believe in doctors. So we decided that we would take our kids, but we would not go. And because they had been taught that that was not, um, a Christian should not go to a doctor. And so we had to get Lowell there to the doctor ourselves. We didn't have a car at that time. And uh, we couldn't communicate good, so there was socialized medicine. I guess that was a good thing at that time. You didn't have to pay, which we didn't know. But um, there was nuns, and... um, we couldn't communicate with him, but they took him and put him in a room by himself. And we were not allowed to visit. Uh, we did not understand the word they were saying to us, so they would yell at us, thinking that we would understand it, you know. We weren't hard hearing, you know. <laughs> but they'd say, get out of me! Oh, my goodness. So we'd go back and say to Sister Edith, what does grabby mean? Well, that means serious. So he couldn't keep anything down, water, whatever. It just, goes, it just goes right through him. So he was there three or four days, five maybe, and finally they were, we were allowed to take him home. And we were supposed to give him swearful the whole time. Of course, my husband thinks he knows, you know. So he thought he would try giving him water, which didn't work because it goes, you know, it goes right through you. But we were worried about Lowell because he couldn't say anything in Spanish. So we said, that's what worried me. I thought, what is he thinking? You know, we're not there. We can't go in. They won't allow us to go in. We don't know even what's going on. And so when we asked Lowell, he said, no. He says, I heard kids. I guess his fever was so high. He said, I heard kids, and I thought it was my brothers in the other room. But he couldn't even say water in Spanish at that time. Well, we could barely, but I think we didn't know that one, thank goodness. But other than that, you know, that was one of the first trials. Um, And we rode home (laughs) to Jim's foster parents that had kind of helped us along financially in Bible school and such. And they said, well, that's what you wanted. Now you got it. And then one of our friends and... um, I'm sure 
it was true. He wrote back and said, well, you killed, you killed the bear, and now the lion will be on the way. And I thought, oh, God. Oh, God. And, but it was true. The first year was so physical. It was something else. And they have these beautiful floors that are mosaic. The only problem is they, um, they don't buy wax. They use candles and kerosene. And so that puts a real good shine on there. But I had um, shoes that had wooden heels on them. So I was carrying a plate of fruit to the dining room table. And this precious little sister that was helping us, that bought the milk, um, didn't see me. But when she came in, I had slid, knocked myself out, and fruit all over the place. But they thought I had lost my mind. My husband comes in, and they got me sitting up, and I'm talking out of my head. So he thought, oh, my poor thing's had some kind of attack. <laughs> she's, she's just lost, and I guess it's too much for you. Know? And finally, they figured out I had fallen. But just one of those things, you know, getting used to things. Um, we had an office in that house that locked every time, and there was no key for it. So the only way you could get in it was there was a skylight in it that you would have to put the bamboo ladder up to and put one of the kids through. (laughs) And then he would open the door. So my husband was on the ladder putting one of the kids through when the ladder slid. Lisa was on the floor. He missed her about not even a foot and fell on his chest. So he was sore for several days when he had to travel. Well, we were kind of off to ourselves there. The house was kind of by the river. Um, You couldn't see the river, but the river was close. So um, it was kind of an isolated place. It had uh, orange trees and things around. We had a neighbor in front. So they were going to go on this thing, the Caracas, and take Brother Burton, and I was staying with the kids. I spoke, you know, hardly no Spanish. I'm in this isolated place. So they tell me, well, when Ava's in front, she has a gun. So you holler, are you to me? Okay, so I practice, are you to me, are you to me, are you to me, are you to me. When they got out of the probably a mile away, I couldn't even think what they had said to say. But and the Lord in his goodness, I didn't have to have any help on that one. Uh, we did have, finally the missionaries were uh, ready for their turn to go home. And they had a house of their own, so we moved into that and, and out of our little house there and into their house. And um, in that house, uh, they had a room where they stored their stuff and the rest of the house was ours. And uh, we were sleeping one night. I was asleep. Brother Burton, uh, I think he had already gone to sleep. I'm not sure he had gone to sleep already, but I felt somebody gripping my hand hard, and it woke me up. And I felt a presence so strong and so... And he, he couldn't say a word, he said. He said there was a... 
like a black cloud came down over him and he said, the voice said, you'll never preach the gospel here. And he said, I was pleading the blood of Jesus in my mind. And it got me awake and we started praying, but you could feel the darkness go out of that room. And you know, that wasn't the only time. We have one other time when uh, uh, one person threw my, my husband up against the wall and the devil spoke to this person and said, you, I'm gonna destroy you and your family and you won't preach the gospel here. And uh, you know, that's when you know you're fighting darkness. And you, you just have to depend on God. We found situations when we first went there. It's like Brother Burton said, one situation, and I won't go into that because it's too, um, it concerns other people. But uh, there was some problems there that if we'd have had the money, we would have gone home. But God intervened in such a way that it was taken care of. And um, we didn't even have to get involved in it. Um, and I'm so thankful of that. Not even the church. Most of the church didn't know it because we didn't tell it. You know, it doesn't do any good to spread bad news around. It doesn't help anyone. And so that was one time it was a good thing we didn't have any money. <laughs> Because we probably would have not preached the gospel. But, you know, God works all things out. And if you have a calling, all you have to do is just keep on working at whatever your hand finds to do. Because your gift and your calling will make room for it. But you have to do what you can do. You have to be active. You have to. And then God will make room for that gift. That, and that calling that you have. You know, I had gotten my calling a long time. Remember, I said I was about 12 or 13. I didn't get on the field till I was 28. Brother Burton had got him when he was about 17, and he wasn't on the field till he was 32. So it doesn't happen overnight, but that doesn't mean you stop. You prepare yourself, you live for God, you do all you know how to do until that time. But you can't sit back and say, well, God's going to do it all either. Yeah. You have to do your part. And God will open the doors that need to be opened. Yeah. Uh, go back to some of the uh, other things. Uh, <laughs> going back to some of the food that we had to get used to eating. Um, they always warned us about the white cheese. Uh, don't eat some of that white cheese because it could have parasites in it. And uh, so I was very careful about that. When they went to the market, you put your market in an old burlap sack and they'd wrap it in banana leaves, your meat and that. So you brought it home, put it in the pressure cooker and hope that done it, you know, because you had flies all over it. You wash it, put it in that pressure cooker and say in Jesus' name. Uh, yeah. But anyway, I didn't know all the things you weren't supposed to eat. So I was sitting on the couch, and um, I kept feeling, you know, something would come up about here and then go down. And each time I got a little higher. And when it got up to here, I passed out. I found out later that parasites, especially certain kinds that you have, can kill you. 
actually, they can strangle you. So there was cases in the hospital where they would, you know, people would have them so bad, they'd have to put something in their nose and their, and their mouths to, to get that down. Well, when the missionary found out, and I was telling her about this, I didn't even know what it was. I said, oh, you know, I passed out. And I said, hey, this thing comes, you know. She said, what have you been eating? And I said, white cheese? No, I haven't been eating that white cheese, no. <laughs> uh, you know, she went through a whole list, and she got to the chocolate. And I said, oh, yeah? You know, they had chocolate you make hot chocolate out of. Well, I didn't know theirs wasn't refined that much. So you had to boil it twice. And I was just breaking some of it off and eating it, you know. Because it came out, you know, like the chocolate you see here, you know, and I would just put it in my mouth. Well, that's what it was. So I learned. And even, even when you do the best, they tell you to peel your tomatoes, wash your lettuce, you know, soak it in iodine or soak it in bleach or whatever. Oh, uh, Still, once in a while, you know, you would see the kids sitting around and they'd have this white-looking face, so you knew it was time to give them a, uh, something for Oh, uh, If you don't understand that word, well, look it up. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> One time, something funny happened. Uh, Brother... The missionary had left some money for us to pay for some a car or something. I don't even, or maybe it was a church. I don't even remember what it was for. But uh, we had this box we were going to hide it in, and we looked all over. We thought the dirty clothes, this and that, and I don't know what all else. Well, we came home from the trip, and would you believe there was all the $100 bills laying on the table just out where we had left them. Just lined up for them. All we had to do was look in the window. That's where we, you know, lost our camera. That's where they came in and were going to rob us and take the uh, record player out the window. And I woke up because I heard the dog barking, and he wasn't in the yard. The scoundrel was out in the street. And, and so I go out with the broom because they're taking my kid's bicycle. And so my husband's waking up, what's wrong with you? Don't go out there. <laughs> And I'm, I'm waving the broom and going after. <laughs> I thought, well, this dog better back me up. <laughs> he was mean. He was part wolf. <laughs> the only thing is, we called him 4K. And so, <laughs> don't ask me why, because I don't know. And 4K means why. <laughs> so this lady knocked on the door, and she was asking directions. And she says, um, and she finishes, you know, and I said, well, I think that might be that um, captain up there where we bought our church lot off of. And she starts and she turns around and says, thank you, and leaves. And I said, poor gay, poor gay, poor gay. She says, because. And he said, oh, no, 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 that's dog name. <laughs> we had all kinds of things happen. There were things if you didn't, you know, if you didn't cry, you had to laugh. So we decided to laugh sometimes instead of crying. But there was plenty of things to cry about. Um, we had lived in Iowa, so I guess I had this wool blanket that I didn't know what to do with. I took it to the tropics. <laughs> Don't ask me why. Probably just 
plain stupidity. But anyway, we had a wool blanket, and uh, it got a little chilly there once in a while in San Cristobal. It was in the mountains a little bit. And uh, so one day he says, I'm going to take the kids, and he says, I'm going to give you just rest. So I, oh, I was so happy. I, you know, we had five kids at that time, Lonnie, Larry, Lynn, Lowell, Lisa. Lewis has, was just a thought. And um, so I thought, wow, I get this time by myself. So I'm singing choruses and having me a good time with the Lord. And all of a sudden I start getting cold. What in the world, you know? So I get this blanket out and I wrap myself in it. And, and the fever gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So by the time they came in, I was shaking. And um, they put me to bed. And by all accounts, I must have had malaria because I didn't go to the doctor. You know, we weren't going to the doctor. And your teeth shake like that, you know. You can't control it. And then all of a sudden, you're hot and you're throwing everything off. And then I'm begging for more covers, and they got this wool blanket on me and every blanket they can find, and I'm still cold. Well, after I got over this, my hair started falling out, and I had too much hair. I always had too much hair. You know, I mean, it, it was bushy to the place where I kind of complained, you know. <laughs> Wrong attitude, you know. <laughs> and... Um, when my hair started falling out because of the fever, I started repenting. Oh, God, I don't want to be like Brother Burton. He's got a nice-looking head, but I don't know what mine looks like. I don't want to lose my hair. <laughs> oh. I did lose about half of my hair. Thank goodness I had more than I needed. And I was weak for a long time. I remember sitting in... And their benches weren't comfortable because they made their own benches. So, you know, your back kind of didn't hit where it was supposed to. So you're trying to hit here, and it's hitting up about here, and your back's... But my back hurt me for a month because those fevers just leave you very, very weak. But I did get over it. I did get over it without medicine. But I, I know it's uh, Lafria, as a name, Lafria, not because it's cold, but because, guess what, 3,000 people there had malaria, and they died with shivers and cold. So at that time, we went to Venezuela. There was a lot of malaria around. They did a lot of spraying for uh, mosquitoes, which later on, thank goodness, uh, wasn't quite as necessary. They also had fever amarillo. I'm a uh, yellow fever. Uh, so I don't know how yellow fever goes, but if it, I know what malaria was, and it sure looked like malaria. So I'm just thankful. Uh, I told one of the missionaries, and he said, Sister Burton, that lays dormant in your body, and you can have another attack. And I thought, well, thank you. <laughs> And I got to pray, and I no, the Lord healed me. I will not have another attack. Never had another attack. Never knew a doctor in Venezuela. Never had one. Uh, took me seven years to find to go find one here, and I thought, well, if I end up in the hospital, they're sure going to ask me who my family doctor is. So I just stopped and got one. Turned out to be a Trinity person. 
<laughs> Pentecostal doctor. Anyway, um, back to Venezuela. Uh, actually, one of the most, uh, our prettiest churches is San Cristobal. It's really a pretty church. And uh, we were in a house when we first went there, a house meeting. There was no church. I remember the first one that came up to repent. We had a small little table, which was supposed to be the altar. That's where you went. And so we would be preaching. There was just a few people there, the pastor and his wife and my kids and one or two or three other people. And they would throw firecrackers in, you know. And uh, poor little Lowell would jump, you know, and, and... my husband said, that's all right, we're going to buy some firecrackers tomorrow. <laughs> so he went back to sleep. He was happy. But uh, they would throw rocks on the roof. Oh, it was, you know, you got a tin roof and you hear these rocks. It was not a good thing. But anyway, I remember the first one that came up to repent. He was a big, oh, tall, robust man that was in construction. And he came up. Grinning like a pussycat. I'm like, can you grin and grin and grin? And I thought, is this repentance? <laughs> thought, this guy's not going to last very long. Yep, he was. Yeah, he wanted to be in the church. Well, I thought, good night. You know, I thought there should be some tears or something going on here. But he's not going to last for the week. Well, he's still in the church. <laughs> so that's what... <laughs> That's what I knew about it. But anyway, yeah, that was our first one of see somebody come to the Lord. Then, going back to the physical aspect, my husband was making these trips, you know, out with the other missionary, and uh, there was roaches everywhere, you know. So there was hepatitis. So he came down with hepatitis. Well, he's not going to the doctor, you know. So this 210-pound guy gets down to about 160. That's what one of these pictures in the book, they took that picture and put it in here. His eyes were sunken even, you know. His eyes had turned green. We had a nurse in, in our church, little church as it was, she was a nurse, and she, and she was the type that loved her job, so she would take over when the doctors weren't there, you know, and half the time they didn't want to do it, so she would do it. So she brought him some cerro, uh, cerro, what it was, suero, what is suero here? Whatever they put in the IVs here. Okay. So she hooks him up and puts that in because his kidneys had quit. Oh my. He was not able to go to the bathroom. It was that bad. So my pastor's wife came down, Sister Sunilda. I don't think you know him, but um, anyway, that was a pastor and his wife at that time. And she, she said, why was the Lord? And my Spanish was very bad, but I understood it perfectly. She said, why would the Lord let you come and your husband die? And I thought, well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I thought I better get the praying around here. <laughs> I don't want to be left here with five kids on my own. <laughs> so the Lord assured me he was going to heal him, but he got worse. And so 
actually, it was a long, hard battle before he ever was healed. But the Lord did healing. Never went to the doctor. Um, amazing, but uh, he came out of that the first time he baptized someone. He went down the river with him because he was so weak from from the from the hepatitis that he still didn't have any strength. But those were a few of the things that happened physically. Um, but the same pastor's wife came down and she says, "I'd like to take." Lisa up. She had a little boy about the same age, RDL. And um, probably Lisa at that time was probably about 16 months old, maybe 18 months. I said, okay, she was going to take care of them. So they were gone and gone and gone and gone. And I thought, what in the world? Why isn't she bringing that kid home? So all of a sudden, here she comes and she says, I'm sorry, Sister Burton, but they got into the hot peppers and they wouldn't stop eating them and I heard them crying. So I went out and she said her mouth was swollen so bad and what they do is they put sugar all over it. And so she said I couldn't bring her back because she looked terrible. I thought, well, she doesn't look too good yet. (laughs) But why in the world could keep on eating hot stuff? Anyway, well, that was another story for San Cristobal. But uh, we stayed there quite a while, and then we decided we were going to go to Barquisimeto. I don't know how much time we got left. I mean, to go in. Well, I'll go on one more. Uh, one more story, and we'll close with this. One of the saints uh, from, from La Fria had decided to open a work in Patati. And um, he and one of his friends, who was who later uh, my husband married to this nurse, both of them had killed people and drank their blood. They were Colombians, and uh, so they had gotten saved. And he decided Samuel the one that wasn't married to the nurse, decided to go start a work in Patati. Well, when we decided we weren't going to have no more conventions in La Fria, we asked, um, well, that was probably before, because we were asking for uh, an offering, whatever they could send to help out with the conventions in, in La Fria. And we did not ask for a certain price. Well, Samuel got up after he'd been there a while, they had, they had built the church. Uh, we were there when they had built the church. The women carried cement and water up there because there was no water at that time on that hillside. Um, on their heads, they had built um, a church that would hold maybe 75, 100, maybe 100 Latins. Um, and it was cold. It was up kind of high in Caracas. We had army cots. We would take the kids there to eat, uh, sleep. And we were very fortunate. Our kids were small, so we could put two on one cot. And so we had these army cots we would sleep on. I remember being so cold. And I could hear her kids crying. And I thought, oh, these kids are cold. So I gave some of my kids blankets to her. I remember that. But this man, 
uh, got involved after a while uh, with one of the girls in the church. And uh, even though he was married, so he had made up in the letter that we had asked for, I don't know how much he said now, a lot of money, and that um, he was against us. So we went to uh, one of the churches we had close. My, uh, my husband, he, had he called my husband and threatened because uh, we said we were going. He said he was going to kill my husband. And I said, you're not going by yourself. And he said, you're not going to Caracas. So he left me in La Fria, I mean in La, La Victoria, which is probably an hour or so away from Patati, maybe a little more, and went and, and preached that night and um, to the church that was left. I didn't know what he preached. I didn't have a clue. We were trying to hold the church together. The church was in his name and the building, and so we thought we would lose that besides the threat that he said he'd kill my husband, and I knew he would, could do it. He was, had that kind of background. And um, so things turned out pretty good, and he was really encouraged. The saints seemed to be supporting him. So I went the next morning, and he stayed, um, and I preached the same message. The chief know my voice. And I didn't have a clue what he had taught on. And so... Uh, when we tried to figure out what we was going to do with the church, um, my husband went to the council there in the community and told him what was happening. Well, Samuel owed everybody and had never paid. So he said, I know the sacrifice that those people have made. He said, I've, I've seen it. And uh, he says, what we'll do is we'll just make out a paper and I'll just make the date before his, his date and the property will be yours. So the Lord come through in every situation that we, every time you think, well, I'm up against the wall in a hard place and I don't know where I'm going, God would come down in a miraculous way and answer prayer. I'm so glad that we serve a God that is able and one that knows what situations we're in. No matter where you live, no matter what the circumstances. And there's a lot more stories to go, but I'm going to stop right there for the night. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. We pray that this episode was a great blessing to your life and inspires you to live out the will of God at any cost. You can find out more information about the Calvary Church at thecalvarychurch.com. We hope to see you soon. God bless.